Hi there, it's great to be with you again. This is MLEX's weekly podcast covering the top regulatory stories from around the world with the help of our team of reporters. My name is James Paniki. I'm a senior editor with MLEX's Asia-Pacific team, and we have two very interesting issues to cover today. In just under 10 minutes from now, we'll be crossing to our San Francisco offices for a chat about connected cars and why the companies that make them are approaching data collection with extreme caution at a time when big tech has no qualms at all about how it monetizes data. This story offers some insight into how future regulation is weighing on the collective imagination of the auto industry. First up, though, the European Union's Artificial Intelligence Act is officially on the drawing board, and that in itself is no surprise. Of late, AI tools such as facial recognition or the gathering of other biometric data have raised significant privacy concerns. But as is always the case with these things, the debate has immediately turned to the question of enforcement. What agencies will be responsible for investigating possible violations and taking action against those flouting the new rules, assuming, of course, that the draft does indeed become law? Cynthia Crowett is a senior correspondent covering technology and telecoms from Brussels and has been diligently following this issue for us. So, uh, Cynthia, firstly, maybe um, walk us through some of the main issues behind the Artificial Intelligence Act. Yeah, uh, well, the main one of the main points now is about AI enforcement and kind of what to expect across the EU. Um, we know that the European Commission, they have presented their AI Act last April. And with this, it plans to regulate what it calls uh, high-risk systems. So those are AI applications that can potentially harm society. Uh, so those include, for example, biometric systems and facial recognition tools. Um, but this plan, yeah, it also foresees an oversight and enforcement. So it's a bit like the structure that they have under the GDPR, the data protection rules. So every country would have their own national regulator that citizens can turn to, but they can also carry out audits. But the question is, uh, who's going to be tasked with this enforcement? Uh, the commission did not really specify in its proposal who um, should be the designated regulator. So it could be an existing regulator in some countries. Uh, it could be the data protection authority. But it could also be a completely new authority that countries will have to set up specifically for this. Well, in the European Union, it often comes down to the different approaches of member countries. So maybe tell me something more about how different those approaches are at the moment. Yeah, well, as those rules, they're still uh, being negotiated. So some countries uh, like Sweden and Germany, they have said that they will first take the time to see what's happening in the negotiations before they can decide what, what regulator to set up. Um, but there are already some member states who are more outspoken. Um, for example, Spain, they have said that they will set up uh, a special AI supervision agency. So they will be uh, working on the potential risks of, of algorithms. Um, that's similar in the Netherlands, where the government has also said that they will set up a special division within um, the Data Protection Authority. But yeah, as you see, there are different approaches across the union and that's not really helping in, in terms of harmonization. Now, it's safe to assume, I suppose, that most national data protection authorities would be keen to take on the additional responsibility. So what's their take? What are the national data protection authorities saying about all of this? Yeah, indeed, uh, when this proposal came out, um, 
some of the DPAs, the data protection authorities, uh, they had been very outspoken and they said that they are kind of best placed to enforce those rules. Um, examples are, for example, in, in Germany, Hamburg, this region who also deals with uh, Facebook uh, privacy cases. Uh, when I spoke to the regulator some time ago, he said that, uh, well, when it comes to the privacy aspects, uh, they would be best placed to, to oversee this. Um, but of course, algorithms, they, for some extent, they deal with personal data, so uh, that makes sense. But at the same time, uh, with AI applications, there's also a lot of non-personal data. Um, so that would be the issue with data protection authorities, um, an issue about knowledge. Uh, they will have to recruit a lot of extra people. Um, at the same time, they are already understaffed uh, because of all the, the tasks they have to carry out under the GDPR. So if they will have to be the sole enforcer of these rules, uh, they will have to get a lot of more, uh, more staff members, but also a lot more budget. Okay, now I appreciate that uh, the regulation of AI is all relatively new, but what have national data protection agencies done uh, so far in terms of enforcement? Yeah, exactly. They are not really waiting for these rules to be in place. Uh, for example, when it comes to facial recognition tools that use biometric and personal data, um, there are already some examples of fines in, in Italy and in Sweden for breaches. Uh, and we also know that there are some investigations ongoing in Germany and Greece. Um, so they do have the power to regulate AI um, when it comes to personal data. Um, but I think it will take some time before we get kind of legal clarity only when the AI Act becomes, uh, becomes a reality and enters into force. Mm. Well, let's look ahead now. And, I mean, what does the future hold for the EU's AI Act? What should we expect? Yeah, the, the European Parliament has only just started negotiations on the topic. Uh, it took them a while after some internal uh, competence issues. Uh, we know now that the internal market and the civil liberties committees, they, they um, are the main uh, committees on this topic, so they, they will take the, leading, um, the lead on this. They aim to have a, a first draft report ready already in April. And if that is the case, then the Parliament as a whole, they could vote in November, so that's relatively fast. And then negotiations with the other EU institutions will start. So after that ends, I mean, it could take another two to four years uh, with a transition period maybe um, before the rules enter into force. Cynthia, thank you so much for walking me through this today. It's been great talking. Thank you. Cynthia Crowett is a senior MLEX reporter covering technology from our offices in Brussels and her analysis of this issue can be found at our website, which is mlexmarketinsight.com. That's mlexmarketinsight, all one word, .com. Just click on the News Hub tab for the very best of MLEX's journalism. And of course, subscribers have the full portfolio of the MLEX coverage of the Artificial Intelligence Act and the lead-up to the draft legislation going all the way back to 2018 so no shortage of reading for you there. Our website is also the place where you'll find an archive of our podcasts, if that's what floats your boat, and you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify and Stitcher. You're with Mlex. Thank you for your company today. James Paniki with you. Now, connected vehicles can provide their manufacturers with a wealth of personal data that any digital platform worth its salt would be only too happy to offer up to advertisers. 
Why is it then that the makers of connected vehicles appear not to be embracing that model? It's a fascinating story, one that our San Francisco-based senior correspondent Shu Wan has been covering very closely, and she joins me now. So, uh, Shu Wan, let me start with a very basic question here. What kind of data are car makers collecting? Um, yeah, sure. So I think cars today are become very uh, more and more connected, uh, and then they offer uh, services more than driving. Uh, in that aspect, there are I think two main kinds of data that cars are collecting. One is personal data, uh, data about the driver uh, who is using the car, and th- that can include your name, uh, your face. Uh, and also um, how you're using the infotainment service within the car. And the second category of data, I think, is uh, data about the vehicle itself, like how the car is working, whether the records and whether there are uh, problems. So what is the data being used for and how are consumers responding to these features that are now on offer? Um Based on the two categories of data, I think they are first used for uh, improving um, the driver's experience, which goes to multimedia service. Things like if you want to listen to podcasts, uh, you want to uh, watch Netflix or um, TVs, that's one uh, type of use. Then you have data about the vehicle itself, and then these data can be used to uh, for you to uh, maintain your vehicle, uh, uh, to have some sort of predictive maintenance, and also uh, when it comes to the surrounding um, area uh, of your car, you can also use the data to kind of uh, find parking places. And then there will be other services based on the data, such as uh, finance-related and also insurance uh, products. So according to the car companies, consumers are actually uh, liking these new features. Um, some internal studies suggest that they, car makers are seeing about 80% of the customers saying uh, that personalization is incredibly important uh, in strengthening their loyalty to uh, original equipment uh, manufacturers or OEMs. So personalization is not possible without collecting of all these kinds of data. So I think that means uh, consumers, to a certain extent, they are they they are willing to share their data. Uh, Shu Wan, when you mentioned uh, video streaming services, I got a bit worried. I thought that maybe the drivers were going to be watching uh, Netflix. That's not the case, is it? Yes, of course. So we know how big digital platforms are using data and all of the controversies surrounding that use of data. But what about car makers? What has their approach been to that very key issue of data monetization and what's the reasoning behind their approach? I think car makers nowadays are very conscious of this controversy involving the use of data by big tech companies. I think one thing that they uh, emphasize is transparency in the way they collect data because when they see all these regulatory pushback against uh, Facebook, Google, and they know it's not sustainable if you adopt a very reckless approach to, to use data. And as they say, it might make some money for the time being, uh, but it won't 
go long into the future. So they are saying the data collection uh, needs to be transparent, and also it has to have a direct impact uh, for the consumers. Uh, for example, data-based advertising, which is very popular in the tech world, car makers are very cautious, saying um, they should not do that. Um, they, they should not use the data and to make money unless it can bring benefits to to the consumers. Now, given this very different approach on the part of car makers, how are they interacting with the big tech companies that are getting involved in the auto sector? What is the relationship between the two sides like at the moment? Um, I think we are now just starting to see a lot of the tech companies getting involved in uh, the auto sector. And one important element is this ecosystem uh, car makers trying to build within the vehicle. And that they will need the help of companies like uh, Google or Amazon uh, to build applications or uh, a platform it's still in very early stage. Uh, some has warned that uh, uh, car companies should have more freedom uh, to uh, decide what kind of service de- services they want to offer the, uh, the, the consumers instead of being uh, dictated by uh, the tech companies who built uh, the ecosystems because they have years of experience in that regard and they do that uh, really well. But on the other hand, the car companies also need to work with tech companies because if a consumer wants to watch Netflix, they probably will have to have it. But again, this all goes back to what the car makers keep saying uh, is that they have to think about what uh, consumers want. So on that basis, they will build the service and work with the tech companies. Shu Wan, thank you so much for your work on future mobility. Thanks for talking to me today. I really appreciate it. Thank you, James. MLEX senior reporter Shu Wan covers future mobility from our offices in San Francisco and her analysis of this issue, written with Mike Swift, offers some interesting insight into the future of technology and its approach to managing personal data. And guess what? It's available for you to read right now. Our website is mlexmarketinsight.com. That's M-L-E-X, marketinsight.com. Just click on the News Hub tab. Now, regrettably, that's where we have to leave things for today, but we will be back in your feed next Friday at more or less the same time with the top regulatory stories of the moment from the MLEX team around the world. From me, James Panicki, and everyone here at MLEX and LexisNexis, thank you for your company. I'll see you again soon. Bye for now.